to call the uh, council meeting of February 27th to order at 5 p.m. And we've got uh, Deputy Mayor Ford on uh, virtual. And um, we're just going to quickly adopt the agenda, hopefully. And then we have a, a guest that will um, move to the forward in the agenda. Um, okay, so any additions or deletions to the agenda? Uh, we have no additions, thank you. Or deletions. <laughs> okay, would someone care to move the adoption of the agenda of February 27th? Absolutely good, so moves. All those in favor? Great. In favor. Okay, well actually we're going to do the minutes too. Uh, we have the minutes of February 13th in front of us. Any edits to those minutes? Someone care to move the adoption of the February 13th minutes? Uh, Councillor Carr, so moves. All those in favor? It is carried. Public hearings, we have none. And here we are at presentations with um, our MP for Peace River Westlock, um, Mr. Arnold Rearson. And uh, if you'd like to come forward to the microphone, you just press the red button, leave it on, or the button, leave it on red, and everybody hears you. Here we go. Oh. Well, thanks for having me today. I really appreciate you have put some time aside for, uh, for a presentation there. Uh, Oren, you're very close to me, so uh, good to see you too. Uh, and a uh, few familiar faces here and a few new ones, so congratulations on your elections and re-elections. And uh, Mayor, uh, it's very nice to meet you. Your Worship, there you go. Only some days, So thanks for having me. I uh, I try to make make it uh, around every every couple of years, kind of thing I want to represent a hundred communities in the riding of Peace River Westlock and so it's uh, uh, in every couple of years try to make it to the councils uh, overlapping with uh, 500 other elected representatives is, uh, uh, is a very exciting uh, challenge to keep all the names and faces straight but uh, I do my best nonetheless so, um, and it helps when you come back again as well and I can meet you over and over again so I just want to give a bit of an update from uh, Ottawa, what's going on there, and uh, take any questions that you might have and uh, feedback. Uh, so from my perspective, the things have changed fairly dramatically in Ottawa. We have a new leader in Pierre Polliver, uh, and for the first time in my uh, time in Ottawa, we feel like, feels like we got the Liberals on the run a little bit. Uh, they've been uh, backing down on a, on a number of things. Uh, most recently, uh, this Roxham Road border crossing uh, has come into the news. Uh, the Quebecers seem to be finally fed up with the whole outfit, and they're making a Justin Trudeau's problem, which it is. Uh, it, this whole issue has started since he became the Prime Minister. And now uh, they're busing they're busing folks uh, from Quebec into, into Ontario, uh, taking a page out of, I guess, the, some of the Americans' tactics there, but it, uh, it seems to be working. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but 40,000 people a year cross the border illegally at Roxham Road. And so that was, uh, that's been a, we call them queue jumpers. Uh, the front door of Canada is wide open. If you want to come to Canada, you're welcome to. There's just that there's a lineup uh, at the front door and come in the, the proper way. Um, and so we've been calling on the government to do something about this for about five, six years. And uh, now it seems to be finally uh, something's, something's happening there. So. Uh, stay tuned on that. Uh, our, our leader, uh, Pierre Bolivar, has been out on this as well. Uh, so definitely uh, check, it, check out what he has to say about that. Uh, 
the euthanasia assisted suicide regime in Canada, um, the Liberals have tried to open it up for, to those with mental health issues as the only underlying uh, concern. Uh, that has not gone over well with the Canadian public, and so the Liberals have actually put a pause on it um, for another year. Uh, however, in, within a year, uh, this, uh, this will be available to folks that their only underlying issue is uh, mental health concerns. Uh, the Canadian public is not on board with that. Uh, Conservatives, we've been, we are opposed to that idea. But however, the, the Liberals just think Canadians need more time uh, to get accustomed to the idea. And so we've got, a, we've got a bill put forward by my friend Ed Fast from Abbotsford um, to just strike that idea right off. Uh, the Liberals, it was supposed to come into effect on March 17th, um, but the Liberals realized that this is rather unpopular, have now backed off and, and pushed it back a whole other year. So uh, we're continuing to uh, say that this is not appropriate. Uh, we have Canadians from across the country that are going to the food bank and asking for information on, on how to get assisted suicide um, because they're struggling. Uh, to make ends meet, uh, that is not a, uh, that was not ever intended for what assisted suicide or or made as the liberals call it for, was intended to be used for. So we need to ensure that uh, Canadians have hope. Canadians uh, are are excited about living in Canada and not looking to get their government to help them uh, end their lives. Uh, the firearms debate continues to go on in Canada. Uh, we have been saying for a long time that the Liberals are trying to take away all your guns. Uh, the Liberals say, oh, no, 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 we're not. We're not trying to do that at all. Don't worry. Um, but then they kind of let the cat out of the bag here. In the fall, they put forward an amendment that had hundreds of hunting rifles on there. Um, they've always said, oh, no, we're not touching hunting rifles. We're only going after uh, the kinds of guns that gang members use. Uh, now uh, they've let the cat out of the bag. There is, uh, they've several thousand firearms they put on the list and in that list there's hundreds and hundreds of hunting rifles on that uh, and so they've they've said the quiet part out loud maybe they've they've let us know what they've been intending to do all along uh, when they got their when they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar they've uh, said oh no no, no we, never, we never intended to do that so they've actually pulled that amendment back now and say oh no no we weren't we weren't actually going to take people's hunting rifles away that was a mistake um, but I think they just got caught. That's uh, that's the challenge. So uh, conservatives stand ready to defend the rights of law-abiding firearms owners, and uh, and because of the good work of my colleague Dane Lloyd from Sturgeon River uh, Parkland riding, uh, he was on the public safety committee. He found those hunting rifles in that list, and so uh, so yeah, they were caught with that. The other major uh, concern that we have at, in Ottawa right now is around the. Uh, the Chinese or the Communist Party of China uh, influencing our elections here in Canada. Um, we, we found out through CSIS and access to information that uh, they were influencing, uh, they influenced the outcome of 11 ridings uh, across Canada. And now, just this week, you may have heard uh, one, one in particular member of parliament has very significant ties uh, to the Communist Party of China. Um, at first, Justin Trudeau said, oh, no, that, that did, definitely didn't happen. And then, then he said, well, if it did happen, it might have happened, but it didn't change the outcome, of which nobody was claiming that it changed the outcome. We're just concerned that uh, they are influencing our election. Uh, to, to now, he's saying, well, I think there might actually be something here to look at. So uh, he's turned a blind eye to it uh, up until this point, but uh, we're going to continue to 
to push uh, to ensure that Arcadian democracy is intact uh, and then that uh, that we, the Communist Party of China is not influencing here in Canada. To that end, uh, the MP from Sherwood Park Forest Saskatchewan, Garnet Genes, he's got a he's been working on a bill to try to work to reduce the influence of foreign governments on Canadian or folks that are living here in Canada. Um, the Chinese consulate and the Chinese Communist Party of China have actually have uh, police officer Chinese police officers stationed here in Canada uh, to influence uh, Chinese nationals that do live here in Canada. And Chinese nationals who live here in Canada also have fam family and friends that live here in Canada, and so that's how they, they tend to, to influence them. So uh, there are some things we can do about it, and uh, we're hoping that we can uh, push some of this stuff back to China, but also uh, make it so that uh, folks that are working for other uh, governments and trying to influence Canadians in terms of their democracy uh, can also be uh, reprimanded or disciplined in some fashion. And uh, lastly, the last thing I just want to bring to your attention and something that I've talked about around this table over and over again is the carbon tax. Uh, we continue to be opposed to the carbon tax in principle, um, but it's turning out that the carbon tax is becoming violently unpopular in Canada. Uh, the Justin Trudeau government, which was, this was their flagship initiative back in 2015, they don't want to even talk about it anymore in Ottawa there. Um, they are tripling the carbon tax over time. Uh, April 1st, uh, our carbon tax here in Alberta goes up. Interestingly, the Maritimes haven't had the same carbon tax as we've had in Canada or in Alberta because um, they had something that was uh, equivalent. Um, but uh, this year, their equivalency doesn't match anymore, and so the federal carbon tax will be coming into force in the Maritimes. And uh, given given how unpopular it is. The Liberal government has delayed that till uh, July 1st. Uh, so while the rest of the country that's not on uh, or that's on the federal backstop, uh, we are all going to get the increase in the carbon tax April 1st. Uh, the Maritimes uh, will get it delayed till to July 1st, uh, where home heating oil doesn't have to be purchased anymore and things like that. So uh, the carbon tax is uh, is one of the things that's really driving the inflation at this point in time. Uh, along with the fact that the government printed $470 billion over the last few years. And so we're hoping that we can get, uh, get inflation under control. And one of the tools we have to do is to get rid of the carbon tax. So, so those are a bunch of the, the suite of issues that we're dealing with in Ottawa at the moment. Uh, it's uh, uh, under Pierre Polliver, it's an exciting time to be a conservative or united and we've got a clear message and uh, excited to Excited, and the polling is coming our way, so we're excited to see where where this goes. Uh, the election, everyone is speculating about when the election is going to be. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, the, the NDP seem to be holding fast in their support for Justin Trudeau, and uh, so I hope that uh, I hope that uh, they don't do that. But um, there, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any cracks in the in the fence at this point. So, uh, yeah. With that, uh, Your Worship, uh, I'm happy to take some questions. Um, sure. I, I'm going to direct um, uh, a question to uh, Councillor Scamahorn here. You talked about uh, carbon tax and 
Do you want to explain how it affects our local school division and whatever else? Sure. So we had a joint municipalities meeting with our, our local school division, of which I'm also an employee, interestingly enough, when I try to not get the hats mixed up depending on which chair I'm sitting in. Uh, at any rate, we, we, um, we, we put forward a question to bring up at this joint meeting, and it was around the carbon tax. And, and uh, our school division has one of the largest uh, transportation departments. Uh, we have buses going all over the place. And it represents how many, municipal, how many municipalities are there in the whole? It, well, if you count the rurals and the, and the urban, so it's, it's, it's a large number of municipalities inside this. So um, on our agenda tonight what's, is... What's the school division? The Peace, Peace River School Division number 10, of which the best school is T.A. North Middle School, which is, that's, that's just, that's, that's a little extra. So it's all the promise. At any rate, um, the, uh, the numbers are kind of staggering. So this, this year alone, with the increase in the carbon tax, just the school division is, is going to be paying over $200,000 in nothing but carbon tax. Um, just on transportation? Just, the, the, now that's transportation and heating. Okay. Are the two, the two big costs there. So by the time the carbon tax is finished tripling on all the things that it's going to do, there'll be, there'll be nearly $700,000 in carbon tax a year which is greater than the operating budget of a number of the schools that are currently under threat of closure due to population demographics and shifting things around, whatever. Um, but you're, you know, like, it's the difference between having, you know, a school or not kind of thing. So now a lot of, you know, residents, yeah, yeah, residents, so, so, so. can I quote you on that? It's the difference between having this, a school or not? I mean, it, 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 the, the, the numbers are equivalent, yes, I'm not on their board, so I can't weigh in on how they would, you know, pay that bill. So that would yeah. be that would be up to them. So you can say that it's equivalent to having a school or not. Yeah, that I will allow. Um, at any rate, they uh, we're putting together a a, a joint letter that uh, we are all going to sign on as local municipalities and the school division. Um, because you know, residents do have this you know this rebate that they have access to. We have no access to that. So the carbon tax is just it's something that we have to pass on to our ratepayers. So uh, because we have no no recourse on it. So and it's it's the same with the school division and their their requisition that they get. Um, so the carbon tax is just and you're collecting taxes to pay that. Yeah. So so I mean, residents are yeah. It might seem like yeah, but maybe the carbon tax you're paying out of your pocket directly when you fill up the pump or you know heat your house or what flick on your lights or whatever but these these ones that get passed on to us that we just have to turn around and pass on anyways that there's no recourse for 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 us or or for them through those channels so this is it's a tax on a tax essentially it, and it's uh, it's not a very we it gets minus 40 here we can't turn the heat down you know like it just there's there's you know it's dark all winter long we don't have options alternative heating, any of these other things that, that it's supposed to kind of nudge people towards, um, these, aren't, these aren't things that we have access to. The buses have to run on diesel fuel. They, they have to get uh, you know, you know, two plus hours every day, morning, and then again in the evening to get kids back and forth to school. It's, it's not something we can you know, run the electric buses and get done. So. so it's an extra cost that's being built into our education system without any um, like he's saying any 
compensation for that extra chunk. It's just taking it out of the student in class portion of mm -hmm. things, you know, that kind of thing. So the balance is not not too helpful. Yeah. So we, we are having some success picking it off like one at a time. Uh, so we've got it like we're getting it got it off of the like propane for the drying of crops. Yeah. We got it off of uh, we, we've had some success. Uh, I think the next one will be charitable organizations don't have to pay the carbon tax. It kind of sounds like we're, we're making some progress there as well. Yeah, it would be a similar situation to us in a, another nonprofit that, that uh, Councillor Good works for that I'm on the board of is North Peace Housing. And, yeah. and so that, I mean, it's, that's something that, again, we have to requisition for to, to cover off for our lodge residents and, and for, our, for our community housing residents we can't requisition for. That's, it it's just takes another piece out of what we get from the provincial government to try to house people. So we're, we're taxing people out of low-income housing provisions as well. You know? So it's, it just, it's fingers get into everything. And I don't know that people quite understand how, how long those Costco receipt checkers clause actually are by the time they're all done. Well, the, uh, the Auditor General had a very nice, <laughs> yeah, he had a very nice way of saying it. He just said like, this is a, this is a thing that will cascade through the economy, yes. right? Like it's a, it's an inf highly inflationary instrument, especially when you start increasing it because um, it's a percentage increase, then the trucking companies, they throw their percentage on top of that. Uh, that means that your food showing up at the grocery store is a little bit more expensive. So that the percentage, like everybody operates on a percentage. So when you have a small percentage of the base input, which is on everything, it gets a little bit gets added all every, through every step, uh, so that your food at the grocery store is several percent more than needed to be, just because of the carbon tax. Because the carbon tax is being paid three, four, five times uh, throughout the process of getting that potato from the field uh, to the to your house essentially so. if, if you really want to connect the dots and they take your gun away from you so you can't even go shoot me. <laughs> no we don't go that far okay counselor I think you're dead <laughs> <laughs> I get I get the point doesn't like the um, uh, counselor Shannon did you have any no. questions or thing you wanted to ask counselor Carr uh, report? no I, I just wait <laughs> One thing that I always felt was missed, even when they, you guys fought it in court originally, yeah. was that it's a very discriminatory tax. It's not just inflationary, but it's discriminatory. We're stuck here, up here in the north where we get minus 30, minus 40 temperatures, longer winters. Uh, the east coast doesn't get that cold. You know, uh, BC doesn't get that cold. We don't have access to transit systems. You know, none of that was ever taken into consideration, and for that reason, I think it's very discriminatory. That's all. Good point. Thank you, Councillor Good. Uh, I'm good. You're good. Um, uh, Deputy Mayor Ford, anything you want to bring up on your the committee you sit on with respect to crime or police? Anything? Do we lose them? I don't yeah. know where he went. Did he go? Yeah. He left the meeting at quarter after five. Okay. He's having some issues with his sound. Okay. Well, okay, so I'll bring up a, a different topic. Um, here, as with other places in Canada, we're um, experiencing a shortage of uh, healthcare workers that uh, want to come and live, and then we want them to stay put for several years, at least in our area. Yeah. So, um, 
What our angst, I guess, is, you know, we, we hear that there are foreign trained healthcare workers, which I'm fortunate that they want to leave their, their home countries, but they come to Canada and then it takes forever for them to get in the system to have realistic um, uh, jobs for their training and, you know, then income and all, all of that that goes into being, uh, you know, a resourceful member of the community. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, uh, your, uh, well, your fellow uh, peers are uh, working on that as well to somehow tighten up how long it, it takes for these people to get into our system and be able to work in their uh, chosen professions. 100%. Uh Pierre Bolivar has spent a lot of time talking about that. He has, he says, we're going to get rid of the gatekeepers, we're going to get the gatekeepers out of the way. Um, and one of that is the, to get foreign credentials recognized. Uh, um, it's, a, it's, it's a travesty that a doctor comes here from somewhere else in the world and can't practice medicine here. Not only do we not get a, a doctor here, the country that he came from lost a doctor. Right? So um, he, he is very committed to getting that, uh, that rolling. Uh, and he has some cool ideas on uh, financing some of those credential recognition uh, processes, but also just uh, in some instances uh, push, putting pressure on the, the bodies that do certify um, folks. Interestingly, the BC government has actually just taken control of a couple of those. Um, they're NDP, so it hasn't made the news. I'm sure if we tried something like that, it would be a big problem, but they're, they're recognizing that uh, there's some gatekeeping happening there, um, so they're they're actually taking control of. I think it's the, the College of uh, Physicians in BC, um, which is a which is an interesting. In like it's supposed to like there's some checks and balances that happen that it's supposed to be arms length and not the government doing it, but they're saying you're not getting it done, so they're gonna they're taking control of it. So um, I don't know if we'll go that far, but and it's. Yeah, that's provincial jurisdiction, but um, there is probably some carrots and sticks that we can use uh, to make that kind of stuff happen. Uh, what, yeah, what Pierre has also talked about publicly is um, putting putting in place a loan, a, a dedicated loan system um, for getting your credentials, similar to the student loan program, but uh, you wouldn't necessarily need, need to be a student loan. Uh, wouldn't necessarily be, need to be a student to do it. You just like some some people that come here just need. A, a bit of time to set aside to get it done and can't necessarily fund that on their own. So um, if they can take time out from being their taxi driver to dedicate to getting their credentials sorted out, um, that that would be a win for all of us. If yeah, they need sometimes I think they have too many jobs to be able to do the studying to yeah. get Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's precisely his point. He says like the student loan program isn't working for that particular type of person, um, given that they're not coming out of high school they're they're often 35 40 years old uh, with a family and and juggling several other jobs to, to try to make ends meet well and, and the other one I guess I feel for any Ukrainians that have arrived in Canada and they're told that well they don't come and a lot of them already have um, jobs that are in their field etc cetera, etc cetera. but they're here I understand for three years and then it's or something because uh, that was the limit on the initial program and maybe that's incorrect but you know I, I would hope that there would be something that is a little softer if they have come here establish themselves want to stay okay I'm not I'm not aware 
um, one way or the other. I do know that they have immediate work visas mm -hmm. when they show up, so that, and then, I might be wrong on this, but I think they can apply for citizenship um, fairly quickly as well. I know there was something about three years, so I don't know. Yeah, but you're, if you're in the country for three years, you can apply for citizenship, so they, they may be able to do that kind of concurrently, but I don't know about what happens after three years, and the government may not either. They might, <laughs> they might cross that bridge when they get there as well. Well, I'll throw out one last one. It's this broadband. Um, in town here, we were very fortunate in 2013-14, uh, TELUS came into town and said, uh, Town Peace River will uh, treat you as a pilot program and will install um, high-speed internet to each house in town. And they basically did that. Some businesses weren't so fortunate. However, COVID hit and um, Byron in his uh, school capacity can speak to the um, students in the country that COVID and internet were not a good match sort of thing. So it seems that the municipalities around here, they aren't eligible, well maybe they're eligible supposedly, but they can never get the grants to get the towers or whatever is needed to spread broadband further into the country. And really as a region, um, you know, we have workers that we want to work. They work out in the, I don't know, the plants, the country, whatever tend to live in town. So there's kind of a mismatch there. And something needs to be done because they've spouted this last uh, mile for, I don't know, 10 years that I've been at this desk. And nothing really seems to have occurred or happened in our area. So it's an angst, it's a point of angst. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I'll quit talking, but counselors, anything further you'd like to comment or? Your Worship, you never even said anything about the railway. Well, the railway, I can speak to the railway. I gave Mr. Burson one of our um, uh, cards from the Community Rail Advocacy Association, which is a group of, uh, it has at least 20 municipalities and four or five major industries represented on the group. And they got organized in January, and so they're going into full mode to advocate that the rail companies somehow have to treat uh, some of their customers better. Um, customers sometimes feel that they're held hostage because they're supposed to have so many cars arriving. These cars are, I, I guess they go elsewhere or to more profitable uh, parts of the system or product that's more profitable, perhaps that's the case. And they're saying in agriculture, forestry, you know, all the industries we have around here, that it's just not, it's not as it should be. So our group is uh, bringing that to the light and uh, talking strongly to CN in particular because they're in our part of the world and hoping that things change, that there will be uh, an upgrade in the commitment to getting cars where we would like them to be, basically. Perfect. Yes, I have had several organizations, uh, Richardson's and Viterra's of the world, uh, lobby me in Ottawa on this very issue as well. So, um, there, is, uh, there is a bunch of interesting things that uh, the government could do um, to increase competition in the system a little bit, which may, may help. And so uh, I've been, I have been pursuing them uh, with our agriculture training, for sure. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, uh, yeah, it's lovely to be in Peace River again. Well, thank you.
Well, you picked a good day to arrive in the sunshine, and you should leave some sunshine for us, too. Okay. I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to bring it. I bring sunshine wherever I go, you know? <laughs> there you go. Well, and, and have a trip across our, our new bridge and the other bridge that maybe will be finished sometime in the summer or not. The old one that they're yeah, they're refurbishing. refurbishing. Yeah. Yeah, it's coming along nicely from it the is. last time I was here, so mm -hmm. it was, yeah, wasn't that long ago. So. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you again. Okay, we're now at. Um, bylaws and the first one uh, we're looking at the municipal solid waste bylaw 2129 and we have um, your worship yes indeed. can i can i interrupt you once more sure in my line of business nothing happens unless i have a picture i was waiting for that yeah <laughs> where would you like this picture i don't know I, we can cluster around the center there yeah, we can get in there yeah, yeah. I can come on that side too. It doesn't matter. Uh, usually we kind of get in here. Fortunately, I brought Erica along. Erica works in my SID office at the bar head. And she reminded me that we have to do the picture. Yeah, that's right. before you is uh, bylaw number 2129 which we're seeking first reading on this would be the solid waste bylaw and in once it's given third reading if it is it will repeal the current bylaw 2119 which governs solid waste collection so as in previous um, examples when we did the water and the wastewater utilities this bylaw includes the governance part of it and the rates that are charged. And when we move forward in 2024, it's our intention to separate this bylaw as well and move the rates out of here and into the utility rate bylaw for 2024 and moving forward. Uh, administration, as we were chatting um, previously during budget discussions, administration is bringing forward a request to include a $6 increase to the rates for 2024. And out of that um, increase, we intend to put $3 roughly per household per month towards the um, yard waste cleanup. And then we also want to start moving towards building a reserve 
for future incidents such as the one that we just um, got through where we had to charge that $29 levy or if we want to in the future expand our collection services the reserve will help us fund a little bit for future capital expenditures. So if um, Council so chooses to give first reading then we will get this out into the public. We'll do some communications to make members of the public aware and it would be our hope to put it into effect for March 16th to, uh, yeah, March 16th would be the next billing um, date. That's going to be quick. Um, I, I do have a couple of questions on it as, as is. So I'll, I would ask them after first reading, but I might as well ask them before first reading so that my question has to do with, um, I think it's section 20, it's uh, page uh, 7 of 12. And um, first of all, 20 part G, it says that people must remove their um, uh, containers 48 hours after the scheduled collection time of 7 a.m. I'm wondering if there's perhaps a reason why it couldn't be 24. <clears throat> like, get it off the street. Like, I don't know, I'll, I'll pose that question and maybe somebody will. Oh, I'm sorry, Part G? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, yes, G, okay. And then on 22, it says, um, access uh, refuge from a residential premise may be disposed of in a properly tagged plastic bag and placed for collection in a private refuse container. So does that mean you put the tag on the bag and then you put it in a covered plastic bin or? No, you just put the tag on the bag. So you don't have to put it in a private refuge container? Unless it, it was loose, but uh, normally it's it's bagged and it, the I didn't think tag it could was be loose. Yeah, I didn't think it could be loose. Like it had to be in a bag. So to me, this reads that we take, we put it on the bag, then we put the bag in some kind of garbage can. Is yeah. that is that to prevent like the ravens from picking it apart before they can get to it? I think when we started the program several years ago, we looked at whether it was going to be bagged or loose, and we had the option there for loose, but we can remove that and just keep strictly bagged. Yeah, I, I would like that to be looked at myself, just just to have it looked at. And there wasn't much else I wanted to ask about. Oh, uh, on Schedule B, page 12 of 12, um, I think the Eco Center, or we can now put uh, white styrofoam in uh, recycling bags or whatnot. So I was just going to suggest that maybe those be checked for the current state of being there with what we can put in the recycling. That was it. Did anybody else have something they, they're going to be asking later and they already know they're going to be asking it? Councilor Good? Just as a refresher on the numbers, what is the, what is the cost of waste removal right now? And what what kind of a percentage increase is this over the waste the waste removal we have today? Hmm. 
The current cost for the month is $19, and uh, I have to do some math to figure out the increase. Well, make $5 out of 20, roughly. I can't you're do looking math. roughly for about 20, between 20 and 25%. My math's terrible, but uh, you're looking at almost a 20 to 25% increase. Um, <coughs> I have some discomfort with that. Um, I, you know, I have no discomfort with the idea of cost recovery, which is what we're trying to get to, to where the different things pay for themselves. The services pay for themselves, but just <clears throat> we've been trying really hard to, to, to stay within an area of an overall percentage increase of roughly 4 to 5% in most areas when we can. And this one is, is certainly outside of that, and that's I don't, I am not sure how to solve it or, or to resolve that issue, but I think it is an issue. I think it's something that at least has to be recognized that to say we're going to stay within 4% or whatever, and then stack a bunch of other fees that we increase much beyond that 4%, it doesn't go along with that principle. So, um, I think when we took a look at the, the yard waste collection part, that was when we decided we were going to do that. Was it that was an unbudgeted expense? Was it, or was it, no. or was it the same as we had carried over that budget from previous years? That I mean, the bins were here. Yes, the bins were unbudgeted last year. They were unexpected. Right. But this, this year they're they're always budgeted for. So, in a way, if we if we put three dollars to this to that. We've already budgeted for it. We're adding another three dollars. So, but, but am I wrong? CAO <coughs> Miller. Uh, no, <clears throat> the budget though included the estimated increase in revenues. So the program costs. It's going to cost something. Oh, I, I have no doubt that it's going to cost something. I really don't. Um, and. Like I say, it's just when what when one aspect is is increased that much at one time, when we're trying to do the other things. I mean, just not sure. I'm, not, I'm again, I'm not sure how to solve it. I'm just pointing out something that I find a little difficult. We had people paying twenty nine dollars a month last year because of an unforeseen increase in a bill that we really got somebody came with a piece of paper and said, by the way, this is what it cost, so this is what it's going to cost you, and I, and I voted for that increase because it was necessary. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't even know where I'm going with this. I mean, this it really makes me uncomfortable to have an aspect increase 20 to 25%. So our residents have uh, been paying 29 extra dollars plus $19 for the regular for six months. So this means that they no longer will be paying the 29. However, three out of this 20, $25 is, uh, as I understand <coughs> it, to be put aside in a reserve. So if there are those unexpected things, it should be taken care of. And of course, it, unexpected is unexpected and amounts can be a shock. But at least they're getting rid of the 29, which is helpful. 
And if we don't do this, we know that perhaps next year, you're just looking at the same discussion, but instead of going up um, by nothing or more next year, it'll be more. Things go up. They don't seem to go down in this business. Do you have a rate stabilization fund is sort of a, a way of, of phrasing it. <coughs> Any other comments though? Councillor Carr? No? Councillor Shannon? Uh, no, not at this time. Yeah. Councillor Scanlon? How, how many additional bag tags do we sell? I don't know that I've ever seen that even happening. Is that, is that really super common? I live, I live next door to my in-law, so if I have an extra bag, I just tuck it into theirs. So we'll run anywhere from 20 to 30 bag tags a month, it, and it varies uh, in the per season too. So some months we may only sell four or five, others will. Okay. Okay, bearing no further discussion, would someone like to move that council give first reading to the solid waste management bylaw number 2129 as presented? I can move that. Thank you, Councillor Shannon. All those in favor? Great. So, uh, C.A. Miller, you hope that this comes back and is given third reading by mid-March so that it's going to be tight for a timeline, but it'll be advertised and people can react to it, right? Yes, you're correct, and we can bring it back for the GMP for one more discussion, and then we'll hope to receive second and third reading at the first meeting in March. Thank you. Okay, unfinished business, we don't seem to have any. So we're on to new business, Northern Sunrise County Municipal Development Plan Referral. And this lady, our planning person, is a second. talk about this. Good evening, everyone. So I'm here with a referral from Northern Sunrise County. They are doing an amendment to their municipal development plan and they have forwarded that amendment to the town because we have an agreement within our intermunicipal development plans that we will consult with our neighbors when they're doing this type of work. This specific amendment is an amendment that extends the 6.4 kilometer buffer that is already within their municipal development plan uh, between a village, town, or hamlet to uh, and a confined feeding operation to also have the buffer between the confined feeding operation and individual residential dwellings. So the effect of that would be to increase the area of the county that their municipal development plan would suggest a confined feeding operation is an inappropriate use. Um, the county has the ability and the the responsibility to establish areas within their MDP where a confined feeding operation would not be considered appropriate. Um, that informs decisions that are made by the NRCB under the Agriculture Operation Practices Act, otherwise known as AOPA. Uh, and it is the NRCB officials under that act who make those actual decisions. <coughs> the effect of this is that um, if an application is received by those approving officials, then because of the buffer set, by the county's MDP that that official would have to decline or deny that application.
However, through the appeal processes, there is still the ability of the appeal board that hears appeals related to NRCB applications to uh, remove or not abide by the buffer that's established by an MDP. So Northern Sunrise County is setting a direction. The NRCB has to abide by it, but their appeal body does not. Um, ultimately, this particular proposal doesn't have a significant change uh, in terms of the policy direction for the town because the 6.4 kilometer buffer that was is already in existence today uh, in their municipal development plan would apply to lands adjacent to the town of Peace River. So we're they're already suggesting 6.4 kilometers from the town is not appropriate for a confined feeding operation. So this doesn't have a drastic effect um, immediately adjacent to the town. Because of that, we are recommending that we respond to the county that we do not have any feedback. So I've not prepared a specific letter, uh, but just a simple comment would be our recommendation. If council, um, that would allow us to avoid weighing in on initiatives from a neighboring municipality that don't have a significant impact to the town. Uh, if council wishes to provide comment, then we would uh, request that you provide us with direction with respect to the substance <coughs> of that comment, um, and we can bring that forward to council. Uh, they have requested that we provide feedback to them uh, early this coming month, but we do have one more council meeting before that. Their public hearing, which is set for um, March 14th, which is the day after our next council meeting. So uh, you can see the attached bylaw is um, is on so the file is attached and you can see it's a very simple one line text amendment i can take any questions that you guys might have for me any questions okay i don't think there's anything that applies to us yet or but the thing like 6.4 k from any residential dwelling where that's not moose pasture does that even permit I'd be lying if I understood the question or comment. Like, like, it basically would, it it basically, you're never, never going to get one then, is basically what this is. It definitely creates a large area of the county where they would suggest it's not appropriate to have a confined feeding operation, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. At the middle of the wilderness, I guess, if I phrase that um, appropriately. It would so. be within, the county has a lot of green zone. Uh, so within the green zone, there might be some areas where there's no, there's not a significant impact on the buffer, but other than that, in the white zone where the majority of the development is, certainly it will knock a lot of that area out. So Northern Sunrise is, uh, <coughs> I guess, uh, wanting this for their own reasons. So is anyone on council to put forth uh, a motion? Uh, I'll move that council direct administration to respond to Northern Sunrise County that the town has no feedback regarding proposed bylaw B422 slash 23. Thank you. Any further discussion? All those in favor of the motion? It is carried. Thank you, Ms. Moding. Okay, next up we seem to have um, information about the 2023 Community Planning Association of Alberta Conference, and Ms. Bodie's telling us about this too. 
Yes, thank you. I would like to bring forward you know, the town has received communications from the Community Planning Association of Alberta about their activities, including their 2023 conference, which is held annually. Um, currently, it's being held in Leduc, and this year's theme is Preparing for the Unknown, the Intersection of Planning and Politics. Uh, the CPA is a nonprofit organization that aims to promote community planning in Alberta and provide a forum for elected officials, planners, related professionals, academics to all come together to learn about issues of mutual importance. Um, attached is the, the um, preliminary conference program. So we have uh, that for council's information and we have a recommendation that council allows or enables a, at least one council mem member to come to the conference this year. Well, it's as convenient as it usually gets to be, which is in the Duke, I guess, and May 1 through 3. So the weather should be good too. So all sorts of positive things. I should say that I attended a virtual conference during COVID of this association and it was a very uh, well done conference. Um, lots of speakers on kind of new things planning wise or things I didn't know which aren't mutually exclusive I guess or maybe they are but anyways um, I, I would recommend that uh, council do enable someone to attend it's just a my uh, eye-opening experience so but, if I could just add one thing just for full transparency I am currently the chair of the CPA board uh, my term is coming up and I'll be stepping away from that role uh, at the end of, basically at the end of this conference, but I have been involved for a number of years, so. Or maybe that's why it's such a good conference then, too. Um, so, councillors, any thoughts? It's a good idea. It's good, I can't go, but it's a good idea for somebody. It's kind of like, what's well, a good idea? It's a good idea if somebody else does it, right? Well, maybe you'd make a motion then to... I would be happy to make that motion. In fact, I will read it properly. Um, I move the council enable one member of council to attend the 2023 Community Planning Association of Alberta Conference. Great. Let me figure out who that is. Yeah, later. Later. Okay, so uh, any further comments? All those in favor of that motion? It is carried. Thank you. So... Um, at Manuel Mode, I'll be trying to corral us to get an answer as to who would like to be the registrant. Thanks again. So now we have the Economic Development Committee's 2023 work plan. And um, Director Bell. Thank you, Your Worship. Uh, council would have seen the attached document um, at a presentation from the chair of the Economic Development Committee during uh, the January budget presentation and request. However, we're bringing forward the work plan for its formal adoption with uh, council this evening. The Economic Development Board did adopt and approve this attachment, the Economic Development Work Plan at their January 10th, 2020. Great. Um, councillors, any comments? Councillor Shannon, you're on the committee. It's looking like it's coming together. It's a great work plan. It is starting to come together and starting to be more focused on some of the initiatives we're working on. Very exciting stuff, I would say. Great. Um, 
Councilors, would someone care to put forth a motion on this matter? Councilor Good. I'll move the council approve the 2023 Economic Development Committee work plan as presented uh, with thanks to the committee and its members. Thank you. Any further discussion? All those in favor of Mr. Good's motion? It is carried. Thank you. Thank you, Director Bell. Okay, and I think we may still get to sit there because we have the Green Space Contract yes. Award and <laughs> Director Bell's speaking to this one too. Trying to oppose the thought of green and grass. Um, for your information, and in, in follow-up to previous conversations that Council has had around green space maintenance, uh, we discussed in October the possibility or the, the review of whether an internal system versus an external contract. We did, uh, based on Council's decision-making, put the um, service out for contract through an RFP in early December. It was um, advertised quite widely throughout the region and also as per requirement on the Alberta Purchasing Connection website. Um, we received one submission, which in some ways is maybe not surprising considering inflation, um, cost of starting a business currently, in past years, we've had anywhere from one to two applicants, upwards of four the last time that we actually put the service out for tender or for RFP. Um, administration went through the submission, it met all of the requirements of the RFP. We continue to evaluate as per our process uh, to be consistent and the company um, came out with an excellent scoring. There were three different staff members involved in that evaluation process um, across the organization. And the contractor that the um, uh, service will be awarded to, lost the words there, is Aaron Cook Environmental Services. They will be the successful contractor for the service. They are our current provider. And we're very pleased with their uh, service to date. So just for your information. Well, well, it's interesting you have the chart here as to what they were evaluated on, which I'll read out for people in the hinterland. Um, it was on team, products and deliverables, service comprehension, experience, safety requirements, and pricing. And they came out at 8.97 out of 10. Hard to get much higher than that, I would suspect. Slightly, but not yeah. much more. Yeah, it's a very good score because they have provided a very good submission and again, providing us with very good service and good value for, for our dollars. It's all within our current budget. Great. Any uh, comments for counselors? Would someone care to put forth a motion on this one? matter? Accept the Green Space Contract Award Briefing note for information. Perfect. Thank you. All those in favor of that motion. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Okay. And um, the next item up, uh, CAO Miller on the Council Forum, which is happening on March 2nd. Thank you, Your Worship. 
Okay, it's a big one. So just wanted to remind council that your forum is scheduled for Thursday, March 2nd at Peace Valley Inn from five to seven. The format style that um, we'll be following will be uh, similar to when you're running for elections. So there'll be questions, pre-submitted questions, as well as some will be taken from the floor. Administration will be there to support council. Uh, directors will be there to provide limited answers to some of the technical questions. We would like to just remind you, um, council's full aware of everything that's going on. Just maybe review some of the um, past agendas to just refresh yourself on what's been discussed. And um, if you run into trouble, again, just we'll be happy to follow up with any ratepayers of any questions we're not able to give immediate responses to. And, and you know, we can provide those questions for all on our website following the um, forum. So it's not like um, people won't be able to get the responses that they're seeking. And I think it's going to be a great night. It's going to be a great opportunity for the ratepayers to ask some questions and yeah, I see how it goes. Yeah. So um, I just, um, am I chairing this thing? Who's chairing? Like who's, you can speak moderating. moderating. Oh, who is? Yeah, we, we haven't quite drawn the short straw yet, but <laughs> um, somebody from administration will be facilitating that um, on behalf of the Okay, and um, in some informal discussions that have gone around, um, there's a thought that maybe instead of the council getting to sit at the front, and have this kind of uh, thing going on that uh, maybe we could sit at tables somehow around the room, maybe a couple counselors per table and then switch off, depending on how things are going. So you sit with different people and then you sit another different people because I'm sure there's gonna be some informal, and that, that's a thought. That's great. Like speed dating. Yes. Yes. Speed dating, there we go. But, you know, but you know, have it's still um, facilitated and still um, conversations that everybody's hearing questions and answers to. But it's a little more informal, and maybe maybe somebody will be brave enough to say something or ask a question in that format that maybe they would not so much do in other formats. So that's a suggestion. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Do we get coffee and drinks? A dollar a cup. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. <laughs> well, I'm sure we're going to have snacks and coffee. It's going to go into a reserve fund. <laughs> <laughs> For the next one. <laughs> okay, do, counselors, do you have any further uh, questions on this? Just, I, I like that idea. I'll just jump in. I, I like that idea of having the tables around because I mean, a forum, to my mind, should be a more informal than what we have here, which is a definitely delineation between council and whoever, where if, if it's set up in that kind of an atmosphere, I, to my mind, it seems more participatory. And also, at any time, the council can say, yeah, I'll field that question, or I'd like, yeah, I, I have a strong feeling on that. And you might even find times where different councils have different views on a question that's asked. I mean, that's totally a valid thing to have happen in a discussion group like that. So I'd like to see that. Okay. Any further comments? Councilor Carr. I like the idea of it being a little less formal, but I think it's going to be a nightmare for, uh, for controlling the discussion. 
I agree with um, Councillor Carr. I think uh, if you have that sitting at the table, it's going to be more like a discussion, and then questions are going to go out the window, and we're going to have, uh, yeah, it's going to be. I'm thinking there'd be a microphone that somehow gets put around, but uh, Ms. Parsons? Mm -hmm. um, I just get for that kind of setup and the um, dialogue at the tables that's not microphoned, it's not going to elude itself very well for the Zoom attendees that are trying to live stream and listen. They won't get to participate yeah. like they would if we do it in the more formal panel sense. And I, I get a little bit concerned changing the style now that we've already like had some communications going out that makes it sound a little bit more formal and that you'll be you know standing to give well, questions from the floor. I didn't see anything in the communication that discussed the formality of it. It did discuss that counselors would be there to answer and. Um, I, what I just don't want to see is an us and them scenario. And anytime you have a group over here and a group over here, you, you're, you're setting up for an us and them. I believe that most people that are going to be coming are going to be polite. I believe that most people that are coming are going to be there to achieve the ends that everybody wants to achieve, which is open and, open and good discussion. I don't think that everybody's going to be rude and go into their own conversation at every table while other people are asking questions. Um, I don't see that as a problem. But I do see the division as being more of a problem. That's just my own personal opinion. I'd much rather see it the other format. So we do have two hours, so perhaps in the end, uh, after the first hour, if there's no questions, then we're going to informalize the, the group anyhow, somehow. Because otherwise, keep looking at somebody that's not answering, asking any questions gets kind of Okay, so well, uh, admin is uh, working on this and has heard the discussion tonight, so maybe some adjustments will be made. Um, start with however and see how it goes. And uh, we're asking for a motion to uh, accept this information for, for information. briefing note for information. So would someone like to do that? Councillor Carr will? Okay, so Councillor Carr has moved that Council accept the March 2nd, 2023 Council Forum briefing note for information. Thank you. And do we have another one of these planned in late in the fall? Do we, we should vote on that. All those in favor? Thank you. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> uh, do we have another one of these planned in the fall so we've got time to think through it more so? Uh, we don't there's the trade show booth in May and then we have the um, the typical Christmas council get together around yeah, that okay. time Good. those are the only ones we really have planned yeah. right now oh by the way I've been asked by people if we're having cookies again at the trade show because they remember them and apparently they want some more so thank you you asked that? Uh, others, others have asked that too, so you're on the, the wavelength there. Do I share? Okay, so next we have uh, the topic of recording of governance and priorities committee meetings, and CAO Miller is to this. Thank you, Your Worship. So this briefing notice just to give council a heads up that. Um, uh, as you're aware, we don't currently record the GNP meetings, but most often that was, is where a great part of the discussion 
um, occurs, and then the discussion happens, and then we're given direction, and we bring it forward to council, meaning for council to make their decisions. But if residents who aren't able to attend, or stakeholders aren't able to attend council meeting, or the GMP, then they really don't see the rationale behind um, the discussion. So we are going to, our plan is to start um, recording the GMP meetings starting the first meeting in March and posting those and then that'll just be kind of an interim solution until we can actually get better wired up and go live stream. So councillors, uh, comments, discussion? Yeah, the, the one of the difficulties I've had of some of the governance or priority meetings is that they become like pre-considerations of items that are going to be hitting the agenda. And then there's discussion around them and then there's direction we'll have, we'll come to the next meeting and we'll have a discussion around it. And the, my memory is that the purpose of the GNP meetings originally was not to be discussing decisions that were coming to council. It was to be bringing up an open discussion of ideas of what might want to be considered uh, more of a free-for-all discussion on just about anything going. And it was specifically to stay away from items that were going to be made decisions on. In other words, I think the purpose of the GNP meetings has been muddied, lost, maybe due to lack of time, maybe because we we have a board, we have a council meeting, and we have, we have a GMP, then we have a council meeting, then we have a break, then we have a council meeting, then we have another GMP. But the purpose of the GMP, as I say, originally was to have kind of a, well, we have a, at the, at North Beach Housing, we have a, a kind of an open session that's a, kind of bring, just to bring ideas forth for open discussion. A generative session. A generative session. And in my mind, that's more what the GMP meeting was originally supposed to be, because if it's not, it's effectively a council meeting, in which case, why don't we pass motions? And originally, there were going to be no motions cast at a GNP meeting. But we've had motions cast at a GNP meeting. Even if the motions are, we're going to move to bring this forth at the next meeting. Well, I hate to tell you that, that's a motion. So I think we have to have a real discussion on the purpose of the GNP meetings. And if they're not going to fulfill that original thing, then let's just make them council meetings because really, effectively, what will be the difference? So perhaps that discussion um, would come up when we discuss our uh, procedural bylaw, which we are scheduled to review and change, because that's where that sure. meeting was defined. And um, just to let everybody know, the reason that we've started doing these motions, which are supposed to be motions that direct count, um, admin to do something between now and the next meeting, or now and for next forever sort of thing. Um, so it was so that administration had a better idea of what they were doing <laughs> with certain elements that were discussed in that meeting. Because they were coming out of these meetings uh, not too sure what council wanted them to do. So I think it was to focus that, but. True, but as I'm saying, I know, it's my point is that it's basically a council yeah. meeting. Yeah, when Mr. Cuff, uh, uh, suggested this to town council. Um, his point was not to have a meeting of the whole, that wasn't what it was to be called, but it was going to be called this uh, governance and priorities meeting. We were to have more free flowing discussions, but it's a little hard to do that when you do have an agenda in front of you. 
and maybe at the procedural um, bylaw uh, discussion, that would be the time to discuss. Do we want an element of that free flow within that um, meeting, or do we want to change the whole uh, concept of that meeting at all? Well, but, I, I don't know. I'm not arguing one way or the other on it right now. Mm -hmm. I just think that if it's going to be the same as a council meeting, why have a different name for it? Um, on the other end of it, every other level of government has a function in its governance, in its government structure of caucus meetings. There's not another level of government other than municipal that doesn't have caucus meetings. So mm -hmm. and the caucus meetings are where you can throw an idea out and duck and just see what comes out of it and you're not married to it or whatever. And it seems that there's, um, I mean, I can see arguments both ways. That's why I'm saying I'm not, I don't have a position on it right now. But when every other level of government defends that caucus meeting structure and then says, but you can't have it, or says that, and as Cuff said, you should have a structure that allows that kind of a thing, because of that, that I, maybe it's a different terminology, maybe it's a different time or a different discussion. I'm not, like I say, I'm not married to a solution. I just think, like I say, if we're gonna have a council meeting, let's call it a council meeting. If we're gonna have a free-for-all, let's call it free-for-all. So let's married. save that for the procedural bylaw yeah. discussion. And at this point, the item is um, to start broadcasting the GNPs as the other council meetings are. Uh, basically so people can listen from home and um, we're going to spend some budget money on IT this year so sooner or later they'll be able to clearly hear us from home is uh, well my thought on the subject at this point um, would uh, someone care to uh, if there's no further comments on the topic would someone care to put forth a motion that council accept the briefing note recording of the recording of the Recording of the Governance and Priorities Committee meetings for information. Councillor Carson moves. Thank you. All those in favor? It is carried. Thank you. And this would start, it says here, did it say? March 6th. Okay. That would be next week. Okay. Okay, the next topic is um, uh, Councillor. Uh, CAO Miller and um, sponsored by Councillor Scammerhorn, a joint initiative on the carbon tax lobbying. Thank you, Your Worship. So I'm not sure. Um, Councillor Scammerhorn pretty much talked about this with our guest earlier, and I'm just going to pass it over to you. If to speak more about it, if that's okay. Sure, so I kind of, by hook or by crook, I ended up with a bang note sort of preliminary letter that I sent on to administration to perhaps uh, take a look at, clean up. I don't write a lot of advocacy letters in my regular day-to-day, -day, so it's sort of a first-time go at that for me. So it, it, it looks like this has been, uh, been I want to say, dolled up a little bit from, from the last time that I, that I saw it, thank you, which is good. And uh, yeah, so the point of, of, of this letter, whether it goes out in this current exact format or, or, um, or potentially uh, we, we send a draft of it to the school division for their uh, perusal and make sure that things are, 
accurate with regard to uh, some of some of their realities and concerns as well. Maybe that's been done already. Um, just so that when we do send out the final the final draft of this thing, if it's not exactly what's in front of us now, that we have things kind of you know lined up, uh, you know according to uh, their their facts as well, and, and just sort of get them to let's say check our homework for want of a better word. It is about school, so hey, why not? Um, as far as the details of the letter, those I think we've sort of highlighted earlier in the meeting, so we'll rehash that side of it. And then um, Mayor, back to you. Okay, so uh, councilors, any um, any thoughts on on this? Uh, you think it's a good idea to carry on with the with the plan? Any suggestions about the letter, Councilor Shannon? Councillor Scamhorn, if anyone talked to the Holy Family School Division, are they experiencing the same, or I don't see their name on here as a co-sponsor or anything, I'm just wondering um, if, if how they come to the mix, they're not CC'd or anything either, I imagine they would have uh, probably some input as well. Yes, and that, that is a very good point. So, so this grew out of a, a meeting with uh, the Peace River School Division, the Public School Division, and municipalities. And so those are kind of the ones that were in the room at that point in time. Um, it is not that we would not be interested in getting other organizations involved at all whatsoever. I think more voices speak louder than less. Um, so it is something that we could bring to their attention as well. Uh, in addition, um, there's other nonprofit organizations that do also have uh, high costs in relation to the carbon tax. An example that was brought up earlier today was the Northeast Housing. Uh, many of these municipalities are also represented at uh, Northeast Housing as well. And so <coughs> these are, uh, yeah, other organizations I think if they were, if the fact that this letter was sent out by us were brought to their attention, it might be something that those would be willing to uh, to emulate or or whatever, and, and and bring their concerns forward either jointly or separately, but at the same time. So as far and wide as this can go, I think positive things. But I, I, I sort of would like it to be kept to the schools, um, and then if we have another letter yeah. on the North Beach housing things, yeah. good. But this. This was from a school division discussion. Yes, so exactly. it could stay it's, there and in its format because the members that were at that specific meeting agreed that this was something that we would act on. So it's it's sort of limited to that because those were the ones in the room at that time. Mm -hmm. um, not that we would not we, not that we would be opposed to making other organizations or the other uh, school division um, or the I want to say CNSO. Did I get that right? The Franklin School Division. I mean, there, there's there's others obviously that would probably have you know very similar concerns, but just with who's in that room in that meeting that agreed to this action, that's why it is in its current format. Um, it's not meant to be exclusive, but that's who's there. So the the boundaries that switch for Peace Service School Division, they also share. Uh, in Fairview, uh, a school that is from uh, Brown Prairie Catholic School Division, I believe. Um, if we go into Holy Family, they share in High Prairie uh, school areas with other school divisions there. 
Um, Northlands, um, I don't know who, they share with many people, I think. So I don't know, uh, Councillor Shannon, you have a preference for like the ones in town sort of thing? And I don't know. Well, my question stemmed from the fact that you're talking about leading in lobbying. So if you're going to lead it, did, did I not see that in your... Mm -hmm. I've seen that in the maybe the topic came up and um, yeah I mean it, we, we were the ones that asked the question at at the joint uh, municipality school division meeting that they hosted at at, at Peacehurst school division central operations so so that that's that's where this this originally originated from so um, given that we brought it up um, it was kind of our suggestion coming out of that meeting that we would, you know, kind of run the first draft of it and reach out to the, the partners that were at that meeting and, and kind of get the ball rolling from there uh, initially. Yeah. So to go forward, um, we've got these letters in front of us. It speaks mainly to Peace Service School Division, well, Peace Service School Division, and um, the municipalities that were at that particular meeting. We could, I guess, uh, suggest copying it to um, Holy Family and Katanak School Division and whatever, and Northlands just saying this was sent out on, I don't know, maybe that makes it more complicated. Yeah, I think that might be a good idea because in, in the background it says since we brought, since we, I think that's us, brought the concern forward at the meeting. It had been suggested that uh, by a member of council that we down take the lead on the advocacy. Am I correct in reading the letter as it is? The we is the we in the world? The, yes, the okay. we is the, the us in terms of getting the initial draft of the letter going. Sending this letter is fine, but I think we should also talk about uh, copying this <coughs> as you're talking about copying the letter to other organizations and inviting them to work with us on, on this. Because I think an invitation rather than just a copy is advocacy. So send them the letter and invite them to. So maybe send this letter as is, but because you copy it to them and them. say. Yes, no. they were not in the room. Right. Yes. But we can add, we can invite them to advocate for the same goal. That was my point. If, if we're talking lobbying here, then we should be fanning the. You know, in, including as many as we can, but I see your point. I, I get it now. That was the people in the room at that time, but if, if we're going to be leading any lobbying, that's going to have to open up. That's yeah, it's Thank just it, making sure that we've got the fences in the right place, I think, is, is, is all. I, I, you know, I, 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 I see your point yeah. 100%. Just. So this was the annual um, Peace Service School Division meeting with the municipalities that are in its region, and I don't know, we've never been invited to a Holy Family type of things, so maybe it happens, I don't know. We don't we have one just coming out. We did. Yeah. Okay, so what I'm hearing thus far is um, send this letter as is, but then send copy of it to these other, whoever the other ones are, and um, say, we've sent this, are you interested in us? Well, I don't know how you want to phrase it. Yeah, and, and, and then just as my earlier suggestion that maybe we just touch base with the, the the board of trustees at the school division and say this is kind of this something that came out of the meeting, this is our uh, initial draft of that, just so that we make sure that, I mean, this was, I mean, 
mean, the data that is included here was what was presented to us at that meeting, but I, I don't, I want to make sure that when this is in its final copy, they are, they are, you know, kind of getting good with it or, or whatever first, because we are sort of leaning on their experience um, with the data that's brought forward here. It could get a little bulky if we start including our own carbon tax costs for our own municipalities or whatever and this is this was one thing there was a lot of really good discussion at the meeting but this was something that sort of that, that we could sort of put our own you know you move on first okay so what I'm hearing here is that maybe this be accepted for uh, oh no, bingo. okay <laughs> maybe count some count or a counselor will um, move that council be direct administration to send a carbon tax levy letter to the Minister of Municipal Affairs after checking with Peace River School Division and indicate their support for the town of Peace River taking the lead on this lobbying initiative. Does that cover things? Um, yeah, I, uh, did you catch that motion? The town of Peace River taking the lead on the lobbying initiative might be a little extra, but I think it was going to be something that sort of came out from everybody involved well, in that meeting at the same time. You could maybe say and indicate their support for this lobbying initiative and we don't have the town. Potentially. Um, I don't mean to. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Councillor Carr. I noticed this letter was written. This letter is addressed to Rebecca Schultz. I'm just curious, is this not a federal thing rather than a provincial thing? Well, we, being creatures of the province, um, sort of have, I think, our own channels to, to go through as well. Um, and so, I think the idea is that we don't jump jump a step. Oh, okay. uh, so we go to, we go to mom and dad and they go to grandpa and grandma kind of thing. Uh, um, I, I'm not opposed to sending it straight up. I'm not gonna do that. But yeah. I think, I think that that's the original idea is that we kind of got to follow that channel. So school divisions get their monies basically from uh, Department of Education, so right? We should have Minister, we should have the Minister of Education on here as well. Dimitri? Yeah. And yeah, and that might be something that we get out of our contact with the school division as well. like. We know our, our person is, is the Minister of Municipal Affairs. The Minister of Municipal Affairs, their person is um, the Minister of Education. So we can send to the Municipal Affairs, but probably would contact the school division before it goes to their I think we would send thing. But I think it may, I'm, I'm assuming you have sort of the, the grasp of what we're trying yes, to accomplish here. absolutely. Okay. Thank you. So, does someone want to uh, put forth that motion? Councillor not put that forward? I'm happy to put forth the motion. Um, if I leave the wording in its original format, do we kind of understand what we're accomplishing here? I feel like um, Mayor Manzer had put out the um, motion that council direct administration to send a carbon tax levy to the Minister of Municipal Affairs 
first sending to um, the school division for review and indicate council's support for this lobbying initiative. Yes, that's exactly the motion. Okay. Very good motion. Uh, would all those in favor of that motion? It is carried. All right, thank you guys thank for you. helping me stumble through that. Yes. So remember that the carbon tax was one of the questions we had for the school division. So think of your questions for next year because we'll have another meeting. Okay, thank you. And next next up is the topic of council timesheets. So just to explain, um, in the past, um, um, the CAO has been uh, reviewing the timesheets and uh, signing off on them. Uh, in the vast majority of other councils that I've talked to, it's the mayor who does that for councillors because of that little business about um, the CAO um, kind of shouldn't be telling councillors or correcting councillors in that way sometimes. So anyways, uh, this was passed on to me. So in um, the last uh, go around of timesheets, I had my first opportunity to really review them and sign off on them. So I did sign off on them, but then I thought back to the motion that um, I think Deputy Mayor Ford had presented, and it uh, was that timesheets and expense claims be published on a monthly basis, and this was all in um, the hopes of uh, council operations becoming uh, more transparent. And transparent, I think, the way I interpreted things, in, in the sense of showing the public what council was uh, claiming for expenses and um, doing that on a monthly basis that we were up to date. So I did that and realized that uh, perhaps we need to tighten up a few little things. Because, for instance, all councillors were enabled to attend an event. So uh, enabling means you attend the event and you claim for it because that's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, the reason you're claiming for it, you can do what you wish with your money, but council is saying this is a council expense, um, this council should be tracking that sort of thing, uh, next budget should take that into account, uh, next council should have some clue as to where this council was spending its money. So if people don't follow through on that enabling part of things, it's kind of misrepresenting the actual costs to the next council who may have a different flavor of what those actual costs should be. So for instance, um, all councillors were enabled to attend a Chamber of Commerce event. So um, as I understand it, four attended the event. Part of this, should not be that we're putting things in place so that it kind of groups one set of counselors against another group. We're all supposed to be following the same plan, at these sorts of things, the same claims, everything. So what I ended up signing off on, and in future I, I would not sign off on it in the way it was, we had four counselors attend the event, two wrote down their time and said no pay. One did not write down their time and said no pay. One wrote their time and claimed the expense. So it's not clear how much time the one that said, I'm here, but it's no pay. There was no, I don't know if they were there for 15 minutes or five hours, something like that. 
<coughs> pardon me. Um, I would expect, because they were enabled, that each counselor should be writing down their expense plan to them. If they weren't enabled, well, they don't claim the expense. So that's one issue <coughs> that I came across. <coughs> Pardon me. Another issue that counselors treated differently on their claims. Uh, one counselor attended a meeting, put the time down, and said no pay. So public reading that could be not sure if they were if the counselor was attending as a public member or if they were the rep to the, the particular meeting or even if they were the alternate. It becomes fuzzy. One counselor said they attended a board meeting but did not put down their time and indicated the board was paid. Other counselors would have attended board meetings and boards would have paid their expenses also, but those counselors did not put it on the timesheet. So you see how it's kind of getting convoluted here and it becomes less transparent the more one does one thing because of whatever and another one does something else. So I, I really, really need the counselors to be doing the same thing with the same um, set of circumstances. So if you're enabled, you should write it down, you should put your time in, and you should put your expenses. If you want to donate the expenses because you disagree with expenses, that's up to you. But you have to think about the future counselors, you have to think about your counselors sitting beside you. They should not be put in an awkward situation because they claim, you didn't claim, but both of you have the right to claim, and therefore both of you should be claiming, because it's just, it gets convoluted. With respect to attending meetings and not claiming, I think the same thing applies. You either are unable to attend the meeting because you're the um, primary representative, and you've gone, you've done your thing, you're there, or you're taking the place of the primary, so you, as the alternate, are attending. If you're just going there as, <coughs> pardon me, the person from the, really a public person, you're not there as a counselor type, then it shouldn't be showing up here, unless we, we're gonna have some other mechanism for that, and maybe it'll come, I don't know. Um, with respect to, um, what other thing I got to get out here? Um, yeah, other board meetings. Like I sit on other boards, and yes, I do get paid from other boards, but I've never put those on the timesheets. I never even really thought to do it. So if I'm supposed to be doing it, well, everybody should be doing it then. But we haven't, I don't know that we've done that in the past. If you've done it in the past, well, this is my first look at these claims, so I'm questioning it, because I know that there were other people who would have attended, like I said, the board meetings during that um, month, and they're not listing them. So I don't think we should list them there. So have I gone in a convoluted way? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And we have to be, if we want to be transparent, then that transparent lens should mean that it's working the same over here as it's working over there. And we shouldn't uh, do things so that it can be misconstrued and start the finger pointing on some things. Any questions? Yeah, well, I have a comment. Mm -hmm. Whatever I put on my timesheet, I'm putting on my timesheet, and like I'm sorry if somebody feels bad about that, or I'm sorry if if I don't claim for something and somebody is claiming for it. I don't want to make them feel bad. Claim what you want, but I also don't feel that I, I, if I want to fill my timesheet, I would say, well, I went to this meeting, but it, to me that kind of falls under my um, 
I'm also getting paid a, um, a salary, so or an honorarium. So I don't really, if I feel I don't want to accept money for that, like I'm just not getting why. I, I, so we're we're supposed to put down money for even stuff we don't want to claim, so that the next person doesn't feel bad because they're claiming it. Like I, it's not necessarily the next person. It's John Q. Public out there who says, "You claimed it. You didn't claim it. Well, then nobody should claim it." And that's not. Well, that's why does that fall on the person that's not claiming it though? That's that's the public's perception. I can't control that. Well, I know we can't control it, but we should not set up a circumstance where that becomes a bit of an issue. The other thing with respect to, um, like we could go to a format, I guess, and I think maybe some councils do, where you write down everything that you um, go to, and by that I mean everything. You have a little conversation, a meeting with John Q. Public, John Q. Public, you write it down. Um, you do a survey because you're part of some group, you write it down. Like we can go that way and then everybody knows for sure where your time is being spent. Some of it would not be claimed on the expense because as you say, it's an honorarium type thing and others would. I don't know. We don't want to create lots more paperwork too. So, other can comments? I, can I make a recommendation here, potentially? Um, and this has happened before. One of the, it's happened before because one, one of the purposes of coming up with a, an adequate remuneration policy or a correct remuneration policy for counselors is that you want to remove the politics from, the, from that part of it. And one thing that hasn't been done for a number of years in my view is an administration going out and saying, to other councils, how do you compensate your councils? How are your councils compensated? What are the different models? And then have a real open discussion and an open discussion in council say, which is the model that we choose to pick? We could pick, for example, that there's no monthly remuneration, that it's strictly on meetings and you, you get paid for meetings or you don't put in for them or whatever. Or you could go to a monthly remuneration policy, it doesn't matter what you do or don't do, that's your monthly remuneration policy. It's one number, one check, one bookkeeping, simple, whatever. There's a whole range of stuff that can go on. But one of the um, difficulties that's happened over the years, and like I said, I've been doing this for a number of years, and it always comes down to the discussion at some point in time. Um, we have counselors in this region who get paid almost nothing for being counselors. And we have counselors in this region who get paid um, substantial amounts for being counselors. And I'm not pointing fingers in any direction that one is right or wrong. But the discussion is, well, why, why don't we get paid as much as those guys? Or the discussion is, how come they're getting paid more than those guys? I mean, one of the discussions that happened a number of years ago around here was about a CAO's salary, which was, why is his salary higher than another person's salary? And the argument was, well, I mean, I heard the argument, so I'm gonna give the corollary. The argument was, he's the highest paid person in this area. That's a problem. So I asked a simple question. Let's say we get rid of that because we don't want to be the highest. The fact that he's the highest is the problem? Yeah, we'll get rid of that. 
What does that do? Well, the next guy on the list is now the highest. So by definition of being highest, because that was the problem that was pointed out, that person's salary must be lowered to where they're not the highest. But now you've got two people that have the same salary and they're higher than everybody else until you get to a point where everybody has exactly the same number and that's the only time that that argument of they're the highest paid is shown to be so fallacious as to be, to be honest with you, it's a ridiculous argument. It doesn't make any sense, never has made any sense, but it's one of those comments that sounds good until you look at it. And then when you look at it, you realize it's an illusion, it's a mirage, it's, it's a joke. So I think, we, I think we have a responsibility to our ratepayers to be responsible. I think we have a responsibility to our ratepayers to be transparent. But I think we have a responsibility also to take a real look at what, what we want to see the remuneration accomplish and what we believe to be fair. So I think I'd like to um, maybe invite or to make a recommendation that we ask. Go ahead. Sorry, you, um, Your Worship, through you. Um, we are already on that. As part of Councillor or Deputy Mayor Ford's other part of the motion, um, we are currently reviewing and pulling examples of other remuneration packages, honorarium packages, to bring forward um, some examples for this exact discussion. So, um, on that note, too, I just want to say I do believe that it's critically important that Council does. Um, record the costs of doing business and and it is representative when someone looks to say you know a, a community our size and there's a certain expectation of work and it doesn't come down it's it doesn't represent the community and the amount of work that's required if we're not claiming um, time spent doing the work and hopefully we can accomplish uh, some good things when we bring forward a suggestion of new package like um, Councillor Ford said, or Good said, so then it will eliminate some of this half hour here and an hour there and, and maybe we can come up with a good complement of both to make sure that everybody feels adequately compensated, the community can see true representation of governance and yeah, hopefully we can solve that a bit in the future. Thank you. So um, with that, I'm just laying it out there what I found going over the timesheets for one month. So there has to be some um, consistency because that makes transparency more reasonable, I think. And if we're not consistent, well, it's transparent in a different sense, but it's not transparent for the reasons uh, as to why you're doing whatever you're doing. And so, I'm going to leave it, I'll leave it at that point. That was for your information. Let's see how things go another month. But my way of thinking is if you're enabled, like the CAO actually, cost of doing business is a good phrase. It is a cost of doing business and it's not uh, necessarily being clear about that cost or the value of what you're doing because quite frankly in our society sometimes um, what you're paid is a value associated with that work. So just keep that in mind too for the next 
I'm saying the next group of counselors because who knows what they'll come up with too. Yep. So is this just for information or, or is this um, I mean, it's, it's for information but my strong hope would be that uh, if I'm signing off on things I'm going to be signing off on things that are enabled and people are putting down what they were enabled what those expenses were for that so thing. when you say that you're you're signing off so what do you sign off then if somebody put no charge and put I said I signed off on this batch and then uh, brought this information forth that in terms of consistent well, transparency leading to consistency and the vice versa we should be doing the same thing so my whole point of this discussion was to say you're enabled for something you should be putting down your expense for it otherwise why put it on the paper okay but it still is our choice what to put on at this point with reflection well Okay, so I could be stronger then and say um, you were enabled to do this, so the expectation is that you put down your um, expense claims there and you put down how much time you spent and it automatically says this is the pay for that, that's what it is. If you don't put down any expense, then you shouldn't be putting whatever it was over there either. If I may. What I would recommend at this point is that we accept it for we accept it for information and it's no more and no less than that. And administration brings back the discussion that we were talking about is take a look at different models. Um, like yeah, I think I think that's the best way to go forward. I know, at this point. It's an awkward conversation, etc. because um, well, people's thoughts on it. Uh, it means that the expense claims, whatever the paperwork, uh, the next due date is the ninth, something in March, 17th, 20th or so. So. Well, I'll make the motion that council accept the discussion regarding completing council timesheets for information. There's no direction in it, it's just for information. Okay, okay all. All those in favor of the motion? Thank you. And thanks for the discussion. Okay, the next uh, item we have Mr. Mugford, who's Director of Corporate Services, and he's coming to tell us about the December 22nd operating variance report. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, this report and the attachments, uh, it, it deals with our, it's the, uh, the full year of operating budget uh, for both tax supported and utility funds. Um, stress that it is not audited so these figures are subject to uh, and will materially change by the time that you receive the audited financial statements um, we had our auditors here this past week for their what's effectively their interim audit work they were doing a walkthrough um, sampling testing etc and they'll be returning um, in the latter part of March to complete the audit at that point in time so as time goes on, uh, we're making our adjustments and the quality of information uh, gets more accurate, but we also wanted to get the figures that we have now in front of council um, so that you uh, can get this information in a, in a timely manner. Uh, in terms of the, uh, the, I guess, again, council can, can review the report in detail. Um, I do want to stress that 
amortization expense is not included in these figures. Um, we also include an expense line item for principal repayments and transfer to capital. And so I, I denoted that um, principal repayments is $1.94 million and transfer to capital reserves was $1.64 million. Um, on the whole, uh, both the utility fund and the tax supported funds are um, in slightly better situations. Uh, the utility on the sorry on, on the tax supported side, um, revenues exceed the budget by 1.5 million dollars, so that's uh, significant. The on the utility side, it was uh, very minor. Um, there's still a deficit, but it's significantly <coughs> less than what we budgeted. There's twenty thousand dollar deficit. Um, compared to a budgeted deficit of $273,000. Um, again, there's this this report, it may be the last time the council sees it in this form. Um, I've got some different ideas in terms of how we'll be presenting this information in the future. Um, because again, there's no there's no balance sheet associated with this with this uh, variance review. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't really tell council the whole picture. We've been discussing the best way to present this information going forward, and we're, we're thinking about moving to a quarterly type of uh, approach where we'll update council with with a, a modified version of the financial statements um, and provide a capital update at that point in time as well. Uh, yeah, that uh, that concludes my, my comments at this point. Any uh, if there's any questions from our council? Thank you. So you you said something about a balance sheet. So does that mean we just don't know if we um, other entities owe us money that should have been paid in 2022, or what's the significance of the balance sheet? That was me. Yeah. So so a balance sheet. Uh, it's really in, in public sector accounting standards. It's called the statement of financial position, and that's that would show all of your asset and liability accounts. Um, so that would show what your cash balance is, your receivables, your, your payables. We know what all of those are right now, but the variance report that we're able to generate at this point in time is just showing you your income statement. So it's just showing you your revenues and your expenses. Um, so when you receive the audited financial statements, that's when you'll see basically there's the statement of financial position, which is your assets and your liabilities and your equities. Um, and your then there's a separate statement that shows your revenues and your expenses. Then there's cash flow and notes and, and statement of net debt. Okay, and I think in years past, um, did we not uh, have a little chat? Council had a little chat with the auditor uh, at the beginning of this process as mm -hmm. well, didn't we? That's not that'd be fine. I think we have. That wouldn't be a typical process for me. Typically, um, the audit would come afterwards. So it wouldn't be normal, or normal practice for me to see them come speaking to council in advance of the audit. Normally, they would come once all the audit is complete. And could, you, could you please maybe ask them if they have done that in the past, yeah. in case I'm making it up? But I, I'm sure they probably did, maybe for a reason for you, I'm not sure. It's just not, it's just not normal practice, so. Yeah. 
It's not that they can't. Is that something you've ran into? Yeah, no, in, in my past experience, the auditors um, will come. Sometimes the auditor will present the financial statement, sometimes the administration will present it, but the auditor will be present to answer any questions. And then there's quite often um, a document that they'll prepare, um, a, like a management letter, which is for administration, and there'll be a report to council, um, which usually discusses changes in reserves and things like that. Yeah, I think in the past we've had the actual auditors come and sort of direct one-to-one <laughs> -one kind of conversations uh, with council, the auditors sort of thing. So, okay, so I'll, I'll leave it there. But any uh, questions, further questions on Mr. Mugford's, um, end, well, basically end of the year kind of variance report? Any numbers not making sense? And. Uh, the reason for the operating um, uh, difference between revenue and expenses was basically the higher cost of um, uh, utilities, uh, was it not? In the latter part of the year when um, ADCO and things like that. So there's, there's some revenues that are higher than budget and part of that comes down to, um, as part of an accounting practice, you generally don't You don't accrue a revenue until you're certain you're going to receive it. Uh, you, you don't accrue what's called a contingent gain. So quite often revenues can be uh, lagging when they when they float through your income statement. Whereas if you have a contingent liability, if you have an expense that you know about in the future, um, management has to make an estimate or at a minimum doing no disclosure related. So that's driving a bit of the variances here. Um, you know, we do have some vacancies in some positions, and uh, as I stated, as part of our budget presentation, um, which is consistent with past practice, we don't budget for a vacancy rate, and as such, um, like you know, the peace officers, as an example, those positions were, were partially vacant and then fully vacant for a chunk of the year. Um, so that, that can drive variances. Um, yeah. Okay, well thank you. Um, counselors? Any questions? Okay, I think we're leaving the motion on this uh, report section till the end. Um, so the next topic we have the February 15th um, RCMP Peace Regional Advisory Committee minutes. And Council um, Carr, anything to forth on this one? Or maybe I, sorry, I'm ahead myself. Um, who's doing this one? Councillor Ford not here, so I guess we've read it. Keep any questions for us to ask him. Okay, then on, on to Councillor Carr and Community Services. Uh, anything you want to highlight in the minutes or other stuff? Nothing really stuck out in that meeting. Um, just basically reports. meeting that has stood out its most recent one we had a lot of good discussion but this particular one I would say was just okay okay well thank you for that and is that the last one yes that's the last one so would a councillor like to move the council accept the reports uh, 91-3 for information I can move that Thank you, Councillor Shannon. So moves. All those in favor? Great. 
Okay, then we have council communication or information and council communication packages of various dates. February 10, February 17, lots to read in here. And remember councilors that this was the section that we were gonna let, let evolve for a while and then um, maybe look at it. So maybe that'll be in an upcoming meeting if you've got any suggestions on that one or anything. Um, okay, then number two here, we've got the um, letter from the, uh, actually, Glen Mary School, um, Darren Flynn, who is um, organizing the Provincial Basketball Tournament, which is happening on uh, March, or beginning on March 16th at Glen Mary Gym. He's um, asking, um, first of all, if I would send the letter. I sent the letter. Second of all, he's now asking if I could perhaps say a few words at the opening ceremony. So the question would be whether council wants to enable me to do that. And that would require a motion. Well, I'll move that uh, council enable uh, Mayor Manzer to attend the opening ceremonies for the provincial basketball tournament hosted at Glen Mary School and say a few words. Thank you. Uh, any con any discussion? Or you could amend that to bring greetings from the town. Yes, that would be better. That might sound a little more professional. Okay, any discussion? All those in favor of that motion? Thank you. Then the next one is from Nicole Patrona, and each year they raise the, the flag, and this year it's gonna be this Friday, March 3rd at 1.15 p.m. And they're asking me to join them and maybe say a few words again. I'm known for a short few words. Which I don't <laughs> want to say. Um, older, unfortunately. <laughs> Anyways, um, so again, if uh, council wants to put forth a motion to enable the mayor to attend and speak, to, speak, speak greetings on behalf of the town, that would be a good motion. I will make that motion. Thank you. Any discussion? All those in favor? Thank you. Okay, so then we will go back and um, uh, maybe someone will move that council accept for information. Do you still accept for information the ones that had other motions on? The enabling motions or just the one that didn't? Just accept all. Just accept them all. All? Okay, council accept information items 10-1 through 10-3 for information. Councilor Goodso moves. All those in favor? Great. Do we have any notices of motion? None so. Okay, comments from the public. Public disappeared. Key communication items from this meeting. Suggestions, counselors. The variance report, maybe some comments on, on that one. Um, the utilities bylaw. That it's going out. Anything else? Is it from the MP, Mr. Re or Arnold Beerson? That should probably be good. Okay. And um, now let's maybe have a, would you like a 10 minute break? Sure. 10 minute break? Sure. So that brings you back, let's say it's 7.05 and we're having a break. <laughs> 